Greetings and welcome to this edition of Faith to Live By. I'm Pam Christian, the researcher, writer, producer, and host for this program. My goal is to help us consider current events from a biblical and prophetic perspective so we can know how God wants us to respond as His children. I truly want to see more Christians live out their Christian faith and make a difference in this world based on the wisdom and insight from God and the power and the authority Jesus has given us as His followers. We need to partner with God to see His kingdom will done on earth as it is in heaven. Anyone alive today who has not figured out that we are living in a battle of good versus evil, God versus Satan, which would include those who don't believe in the existence of God or Satan, are sure to have their philosophies and ideals completely blown up. Based on what I've learned through study and prayer and from God's trusted prophets, the time of trouble God has been warning us about for nearly three and a half years is here. In fact, through Julie Green, God said the warnings will be no more because we have entered the time he has been warning us about. We are in the time of chaos, confusion, and darkness he has been telling us to prepare for so that we will not be crippled by fear because we've heard God's explanation of what he is doing in the midst of the enemy's all-out evil efforts. I'll be sharing a portion of Julie Green's word a little bit later in the program. I started trying to help us gain understanding about events in the Middle East last week with the caveat that there has been centuries of disinformation and unfounded claims, especially about the ownership and rights to the land in the area. This makes it really difficult to be confident about truth. Last week I shared I'm here to help us discover pieces of the puzzle to try to fit the pieces of the puzzle together as best we can. I plan on continuing with that effort today as it relates to what mainstream media news is referring to as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which itself is a misleading term for a number of reasons. What I bring you today will better identify the ancient conflict and help us understand some of the modern history so we can see the underlying spiritual implications that impact all time and history and all the people of the world. Based on what I've learned so far, I offer information for you to consider. In my opinion, the issue in the Middle East is not truly over geography. For goodness sakes, Israel is about the size of New Jersey, and history reveals many different people groups have lived in that region. The ongoing issue is ideological, with deep religious roots. In one word, it's anti-Semitism. This mindset is not limited to the Middle East, and by extension, it's not limited to Jewish people. There are individuals all over the world throughout the centuries who are hostile toward Jews and Christians. If you look at history as presented in the Bible, which I'll help us do shortly, you'll see there has always been two groups of people, those who acknowledge God and His ways, and those who reject God and His ways. And those who reject God have always sought to overtake those who acknowledge God. This is the work of Satan, who hates God and seeks to destroy all that is important to God. The Jews are God's chosen people, so they have always been a target of the enemy. I invite you to read a paper titled The Brief History of Antisemitism using the link in the show notes. Antisemitism did not begin in the Nazi era, nor did it end with the close of World War II. Beginning with Cain and Abel, history reveals the conflict is from those who reject God and his ways towards people who acknowledge God and his ways. 
Most people are careful to recognize that not all people who go by the same name or identity maintain the same ideologies. But oddly, those who have a deep-seated hatred for the Jews and extended to the Christians don't think of people as individuals. They consider only a group that they believe needs to be annihilated or at least opposed. It is the same evil motivation that is driving those who seek a one-world government. The leaders of the one-world government have openly expressed their very real concern that Christians are the ones who stand in their way. It's so perplexing that these people, who are highly educated, can on one hand acknowledge God exists, and on the other hand believe they can actually overcome God. But again, history reveals people influenced by Satan have held to this belief many, many times over throughout time. The recent atrocities in the Middle East have fueled all sorts of bigotry and claims, most of which are not properly and fully considered. So it is with great care that I try to help us learn the truth so we can in fact respond as God wants us to in the face of this evil among us. The barbaric atrocities committed against innocent people will not be unpunished. Slaughter of the innocent will always be vindicated by God. And as convoluted as history and claims are about the people groups involved, keep in mind only God truly knows who are the innocent ones to be vindicated. We must not be naive and overlook thousands of years of historical evidence about the existence of people groups who are bent on evil, destruction, and death. Neither should we be ignorant about the origin of evil, the one identified in the Bible as Satan, first known as Lucifer. Satan, who was a very high-ranking angel created by God, decided he wanted to overthrow God and enticed about one-third of all heavenly angels to join him. At the moment they determined their rebellion, God immediately cast them out of heaven and to the earth. Angels are not omnipresent. They are not all-powerful. They are not all-knowing. They are finite beings. Evil angels get their power and authority as human beings yield the power of their own free will and authority over to the demons. When the first woman Eve and the first man Adam accepted Satan's narrative for what God really meant when he instructed them not to take of the tree of good and evil, they yielded their free will and authority over to Satan. Satan influenced Adam and Eve to doubt God's words and intentions and ultimately reject God. And every human being born ever since has naturally inherited the same spirit of rebellion and enmity against God. And I really think that bears repeating. Every human being born ever since has naturally inherited the same spirit of rebellion and enmity against God without exception. In the light of current events, it's of interest to note, the Bible reveals God created Adam and Eve in the area of the world that most agree was in the Middle East. Pinpointing an exact location is impossible because of the changes in terrain over time, but Genesis does mention the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. Based on this, it could easily be said that sin of the world originated in the Middle East. However, the moment Adam and Eve confessed their sin with repentant hearts, God provided a way for them to be restored unto God by properly placing their faith in God's word and intentions over and above the words of Satan. And from then until the end of all humanity, 
Any person who wants to be restored into a right relationship with God can be simply by believing God exists, He is who He says He is, He has done what He has said He has done, and He will do what He says He will do. It's a matter of placing our faith in God's Word, specifically the living Word, Jesus Christ, who is the promised Redeemer for any and all who want to be rightly restored unto God. Satan is a deceiver and a liar who has intentionally misled people on matters of truth. Satan has convinced untold numbers of people that God is not good and that Satan is not evil. He has deceived people about the one true God. This is the simple reduced truth of how evil flourishes in our world. Now, this podcast will be a little longer than most because of the extreme intensity of our times. I want to impart to you as much truth as I possibly can, so you can maintain the real and certain hope we have as believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible reveals the progression of evil and the geography where people who rejected God lived. The first two sons of Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel. Evil remained in Cain's heart, whereas Abel sought after God. The evil progressed in Cain to the point that he murdered his brother. This is the first demonstration of Satan's influence over a human, driving them to be willing to commit murder, and murder of his own brother. In response, God exiled Cain to the land east of Eden. As you read the Old Testament, you will learn of the continued population of the earth and about the progress of evil among mankind. And you will see how God intervenes in the affairs of humanity to control the progression of evil beginning with the great flood of Noah's day, which we read about in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 10, we learn of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the lands where their descendants settled. This genealogical geographical passage describes a process that covers a very long period of time as family clans migrated to particular regions. Each of the three main parts conclude with a reference to clans, languages, and nations. From Noah's son Japheth came descendants who comprised the coastland people of the nation. This would be the coastal regions and the islands of the Mediterranean Sea. Ham's descendants established the kingdom of Babel in the land of Shinar, think Babylonians, and from that land they went on to establish Assyria. Ham's descendants produced many of Israel's enemies, such as the Egyptians, Babylonians, Philistines, and various Canaanite groups. Ham's sons established regions to the south and west of Egypt, Africa, and Mesopotamia. We also learn the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. Genesis chapter 10, verse 32, sums up the long list of descendants stating, quote, these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these nations, the nations were divided on earth after the flood. Genesis chapter 11 describes events that actually occurred before the events listed in Genesis chapter 10. It reveals how evil progressed in the heart of Noah's great-grandsons, who journeyed from the east to a plain found in the land of Shinar, where, by way of Nimrod, a son of Cush, it was decided to build a city and a tower through a unified humanity, using all of its resources to establish a city that is the antithesis of what God intended when he created the world. 
The tower is a symbol of human autonomy, and the city builders see themselves as determining and establishing their own destiny without any reference to the Lord. Isn't this the same evil plan of those seeking a one-world government? Yet, because of their defiant, rebellious ways, God scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. An effort like the flood intended to diffuse progress of sin among all the people of the earth. Specific to the lands where people settled, we learn Noah's son Shem's lineage produced Abram, later named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God instructs Abram, saying to get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In his journey with his wife and others, Abram came to the land of Canaan, and we read the Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land at the time. In Genesis 11:7, God says, To your descendants I will give this land. Abram built an altar and moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. Genesis 13, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Genesis 13:14. God said to Abram, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So Abram dwelt in the land. From Genesis 14, we learn of the battle of four kings, representing other people groups in the land. Genesis 15, we learn of the covenant God made with Abram and the prophecy God spoke over his descendants. Verse 18, God explains, To your descendants I have given this land, from the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenanzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. In Genesis 16, we learn of Abram and Sarai conspiring to help God keep his promise, and they agreed that Sarai's Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, would sleep with Abram to give him a child, since Sarai had been unable to. Hagar conceived, and then Sarai became jealous and treated Hagar harshly, harshly enough that she fled. An angel of the Lord found Hagar, who instructed her to return to Sarai and said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they cannot be counted. Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hands shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Genesis chapter 17 reveals how God appeared to Abram explaining he intended Abram and Sarai to conceive, and the son that they would have together would be the son of promise, the son of the covenant. This is when God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. In verse 6 to 9, we read, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, 
I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now, please keep in mind the biblical Israel encompasses way more land than the present-day Israel. If you'd like to see a map, use the link in the show notes. Chapter 21 reveals the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, the second son from Abraham, who was the son of promise. However, both Ishmael and Isaac received a special blessing. To the mother of Ishmael, an angel of the Lord appeared and gave a very specific prediction about his descendants. The angel of the Lord said in part, He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. As a mother, that prediction would be very hard to hear. But the angel went on and said, And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Well, this means the descendants of Ishmael will live in the same land as the descendants of Isaac. Ishmael bore twelve sons with his Egyptian wife, and these people were collectively referred to as the Ishmaelites. The Bible reveals these people dwelt from Havilah, the Indian Ocean, to Sur, just east of Egypt, towards Assyria. Many people believe that all the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. However, this is not totally true. The term Arab classifies ethnic groups who are affiliated only because of their language and culture. The actual descendants of Ishmael depict only a small ancestral minority of the Arabs. To Abraham, the father of Ishmael and Isaac, the Lord himself appeared and gave a very specific prediction about Isaac as the son of the covenant promise. In Genesis chapter 25, we learn of the families of both Ishmael and Isaac, and that it was through Isaac that Jacob descended, whose name God later changed to Israel. From him, all Israelites or Jewish people descend. As summarized by the author of The Melting Pot, quote, There are many nations in the Bible who were related to the Israelites. Some of them were extremely distant, as far back as Noah, while others were second and third cousins, descendants from Hagar, Keturah, Lot, and Esau. Most of these tribes and nations worshipped different gods and had mostly negative relationships with the Israelites. You must remember that even though these nations and tribes were loosely related to the Israelites, they were not part of the Abrahamic promise. As explained last week, the Jewish people were led by God to cross the Jordan River and enter into the Promised Land about 1000 BC. Jews occupied this land until Islam was formed in the year of AD 610, some 1600 years later. The Arabs took over most of the surrounding region by the year AD 636. However, during this time, not one group had full control over the Holy Land where Jews, Christians, and Muslims coexisted. In review from last week, Palestine is a region of geography. Palestine, as a state or nation, has never been officially established. In 1917, Britain was in control of the region and signed the region over to the Zionists, the Jews, as their official state. This is when hostilities between Arabs who lived in the land and Jews began. But the Palestinian Arabs were not pushed out of the land. According to Joan Peters, author of From Time Immemorial, The Origins of the Arab-Jewish Conflict Over Palestine, Peters thought she would write a book about the Arabs who fled Palestine in 1948-49. to 49. 
when armies of Arab states attempted to destroy the fledgling state of Israel. With her research, Peters found in 1939, Winston Churchill challenged the common notion that Jewish immigration into Palestine had uprooted its Arab residents. To the contrary, according to Churchill, who stated, quote, So far from being persecuted, the Arabs have crowded into the country and multiplied till their population has increased more than even all world Jewry could lift up the Jewish population, end quote. Drawing on census data before 1948, Peters pieced together Arab immigration into Palestine and identified how the land area became populated. The Jews alone moved to the region known as Palestine for ideological reasons based on their religious beliefs. Arabs joined them in large numbers from the first Aliyah in 1882 to the creation of Israel as a nation in 1948, attracted by the economic opportunities the European Jews brought with them. Quoting from Peter's book, the Arabs were moving into the very areas where Jewish settlement had preceded them and was luring them. The return of Zionist Jews from all parts of the world to the land of their ancestors was a topic of nearly universal fascination, both positive and negative. Non-Jewish immigrants came from all parts of the Middle East, including Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, the Yemens, Egypt, Sudan, and Libya. The Jews in Palestine initiated economic activities that created jobs and wealth on a level far beyond that of any of the indigenous peoples. The conventional picture has it that Jewish immigrants bought up Arab properties, forcing the former owners into unemployment, when in reality, the Jews created new opportunities which attracted immigrants from distant places. Peters explains that Arabs benefited economically so much by the presence of the Jewish settlers from Europe that they traveled hundreds of miles to get closer to them. This historical fact reduces the Palestinian Arabs' claim to the land of Israel. It also reinforces the point that the real problem in the Middle East has little to do with Palestinian Arab rights. So this takes us back to the reason for the Palestinians leaving the region in 1948. Due to the Nazi Holocaust, which engulfed millions of Jews in Europe, the re-establishment of the Jewish state in 1948 was to solve the problem of Jewish homelessness by opening the gates to all Jews and lifting the Jewish people to equality in the family of nations. With the world's recognition of Israel as a state, the response of the Arabs was an attempt to destroy the fledgling state of Israel. The result was a war. The official United States records state, quote, the Arab-Israeli War of 1948 broke out when five Arab nations invaded territory in the former Palestinian Mandate, immediately following the announcement of the independence of the State of Israel on May 14, 1948. The link to that official document is in the show notes. Israel defended its right to exist by fighting back the Arabs who opposed Israel's existence. The war ended in 1949 with Israel's victory, but 750,000 Palestinians were displaced and the territory was divided into three parts, the State of Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. The Arab view of their departure is that the Palestinians were expelled by Zionist forces and that the exodus of 1948 was the fulfillment of a long-held Zionist dream 
to ethnically cleanse Palestine so that the land could be transformed into a Jewish majority state. The Israeli view of the war is that they had every right to defend themselves. Enemies of the established nation of Israel had to be driven out for there to be any peace in the land. It had absolutely nothing to do with ethnic cleansing, evidenced by the decades upon decades of their peaceful coexistence. From all of this, we have all sorts of claims that, in my opinion, only reinforce the truth that the Arab-Israeli conflict is truly not about land, but about religious ideologies. Over the years, the enemy of God has intensified the hatred in the hearts of men who do not acknowledge God of the Bible against those who do. If you're interested in learning more about the ancient Arab-Israeli conflict, I recommend Amir Sarfati's teaching video, The Deception of the Nations. Amir also provided a lengthy video on October 21st answering many of the questions the world has had about the recent attack by Hamas and the lack of IDF response. I highly recommend you watch that too. In a nutshell, Israel got intelligence that Hezbollah would be invading from the north. In response, they pulled troops from the Gaza Strip and sent them to the north. According to Amir, the IDF did not get advance warning from Egypt, as several headlines have stated. Because Hamas had been shooting off practice missiles in recent days, the sounds of rockets and short-range mortars were overlooked as no threat. While Israel was concentrating on the north, Hamas managed to kill all of the remaining IDF soldiers at the Gaza Strip, shoot out the cameras and more, leaving IDF with no communications to know what was actually taking place in the south. At this point, Hamas entered the territory with hang gliders and weaponry to the field where the music festival took place, attended solely by civilians. Apparently, this festival attracts people from all over the world, so clearly not all were Jewish. They estimate some 15 different nationalities were present. Amir stated that all he has personally seen in wars and all he has studied, the atrocities committed against these innocent people are unlike anything he has ever seen. In addition to attacking the over 8,000 innocent citizens at the music festival, Hamas invaded Israeli settlements and pulled civilians out of their homes where they were tortured, raped, killed, and more. Hamas had detailed maps of the towns and the villages from the intelligence given them by Palestinian civilians who had been allowed by Israel to work in Israel in a humanitarian effort to help with the deplorable living conditions the Palestinians have in their region. While they came to Israel to work and have support for their families, they were spying on the areas and reporting back to Hamas. While Hamas was invading these two civilian areas, they simultaneously invaded Israeli military bases. Then, after committing all they did and believing they had a victory in Israel, Hamas opened the border walls even more and allowed any citizen who wanted to to come in and also experience the victory high. Countless numbers came in armed with knives, axes, and more, who then carried out all the evil they could think of. Having learned about this, my comments last week about believing most Palestinian people are not supportive of Hamas, I have to go on record that I no longer have that point of view. After what is now 18 days of this Hamas-instigated war, I've learned there is no such thing as a neutral or uninvolved Palestinian. As I see it, they support the ideology of Hamas, which is to carry out genocide against the Jews.
I watched Amir's video on YouTube, and he explained in many details the kinds of evil that was committed, and I personally cannot bear to report it here. He also said that while they were committing the horrendous acts, they were using their cell phones to capture the carnage and celebrate it all over social media. This is what has allowed the IDF to identify every single person involved with plans to go after them. Amir said anyone who wants to see for themselves what actually occurred can view more on his Telegram channel. He also stated that Israel has never published such videos in the past out of respect for the survivors. But in this case, they want people to see what the actual actions of Hamas and Palestine citizens were so the world can know it was Hamas and not Israel committing the atrocities. Amir's Telegram channel is also in the show notes. Then again, on October 23rd, Amir provided another update. It's very, very difficult to learn what is truly happening, but we must be informed. Make no mistake, Iran is orchestrating the war. And the war is on four fronts now, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq from the north, and Yemen in the south. What Iran had planned for over two years did not play out as they intended. Their plan was to strike from all four fronts at the same time, but Hamas was too quick. Just as we've learned to suspect that anything our mainstream news reports, the opposite is actually true, so it is with the reports coming out about the events in Israel. It was all over mainstream media that Israel bombed a hospital, when in reality it was Hamas, which mainstream media was later forced to admit. There is so very much we need to know, so I'm asking you to please use the links in the show notes to hear from Amir, who is a proven, trustworthy Christian representative from Israel. But to close this episode with some encouraging words, let me bring your attention to the prophecies and teachings given by Amanda Grace, Dutch Sheets, and Tim Sheets, and one I already mentioned through Julie Green. Interviewed by Steve Schultz on Elijah Streams, Tim Sheets stated we are living in the most defining moment of our lifetimes. He shared Jesus is expecting his church to define this moment that he has given us kingdom keys to use on heavenly doors. Remember, too, this is the Hebrew year of 5784, which is the year of the door. Tim encourages us to partner with God and release his angels to do God's will. He admonished us that we are not here to hold up against hell until Jesus returns. No, we are here to advance God's kingdom on earth. We are to speak to these evil times and define it. Tim said everything has come to a head. The iniquity of demonic thrones and darkness has reached its full, like the iniquities of the Amalekites, at which point God instructed Joshua to take the promised land. As the Ecclesia, we are to rise up with boldness as never before. Tim also referenced a prophetic word he received in June of this year, where God clearly warned that a serious shaking was coming, that he believes has now come. He heard God say, I will deal with the oppressors of my people, and I will now deal swiftly with jealous aggression. He shared that a very fierce war season has begun, entirely agitated by the demonic realm. But he promised God's people will receive fresh power and fire from the Holy Spirit. God has opened the angel gate over us, and we are to walk through the war gate to be a coalition of forces for God's kingdom, that nothing will stop the great harvest of souls God has planned for these days. 
Dutch Sheets explained that Satan is trying to stop the great harvest of souls that have been long prophesied. He explained the Israeli conflict is spawned by demons to increase international unrest. He believes even the delay for our Speaker of the House is all tied to what is going on in the spiritual realm. Amanda Grace had a two-part video called Israel at War. I highly recommend you watch these, so I've provided the link for you in the show notes. Now I want to share with you some of the audio from the word God had through Julie Green on October 19th, 2023. Cry the Lord this day. I'm telling my children, this is a time of chaos. This is a time of this great distraction. This is part of your enemy's ultimate plan, a plan of great destruction worldwide. Great distractions worldwide. War worldwide. This is their plan to take you out once and for all, to bring all nations to their knees, to destroy any type of freedom that you had left. This is their moment that they have been waiting for. This is the time that they were going to take out my eagle once and for all. They were using this with bringing people across your border. That's part of their kill shot. They were bringing it by laws they were passing, by money they were funneling to nations around the world. They were giving money to your enemies. They've been propping up on purpose your economies. Yes, the Ponzi scheme that they've had in place, the things they've done with the economy, they propped it up from it falling time and time again because they weren't ready. They didn't have their money every place that they wanted it because of greed. In the love of money, they want more. They wanted more and they wanted to take more from you. They wanted to cause a crash. Oh, so much more devastating and so much worse than the time of the Great Depression. That was like a cakewalk, you would say, for what they were about to bring upon this earth with the economy. This was the time to bring in their global government. This was their time to bring in their reset. This was their time to bring down the nations, my nations of Israel and the United States of America once and for all. Watch Iran. Yes, they are speaking loudly. They are shouting. And they are saying what they are going to cause around the world. But they don't see me. And the destruction that they are about to endure on their own land and in their own lives. Yes, I am bringing great destruction to that nation. I am bringing great destruction and you are about to see me and what I do to Hamas. No one touches my nation of Israel and gets away with it. I am showing Benjamin Netanyahu and all who are with him, the traitors that are amongst them, the traitors that allow these things to take place. And another traitor, I will show their face in your government, O United States, paid for that chaos, paid for that distraction, paid for that war. That same face that I'm about to reveal, yes, an unmasking is about to take place of all the ones in your government. The ones 
who gave your nation's secrets away, the ones who are cheering for your destruction as they speak on your behalf, as they act like they're trying to protect this nation when really they want to see it fall. Many traitors amongst you in the land of my eagle, many traitors in your government, and I will show and reveal the traitors in your Supreme Court. I will reveal the traitors in the Pentagon. I'll reveal the traitors everywhere. All the three-letter agencies, there are traitors amongst you. But, for I the Lord have spoken, and I have said before, I have infiltrated the infiltrators. And as they bring more chaos, and as they bring more disruption, as they bring more confusion, as they bring more darkness, I have set up traps and great judgment will they endure. They will not get away from the judgment that's about to take place against them in this nation and against all of them nationwide. My children, I have told you about this time and I've warned you to brace for impact. Something big is on the horizon. Now I will say this again, firmly, there is nothing to fear for the children of the Most High God. I am the ultimate defender and I am the ultimate protector. So do not fear what you are about to see because your enemies are about to flee. I am standing guard protecting you, my children. And I am between your enemies and you. I will not fail. I will deliver. And I will bring up this nation stronger than it ever was before. There will be no death to my eagle, but it will live. It will thrive and it will soar like never before. I am bringing my David back as I have promised, but not how you think. I'm about to do something that no eye has ever seen and no ear has ever heard. I am bringing back my David in a way that has never been done before. Don't look to your elections to save you. I have warned you of this before. I will save you. Many things will happen before this upcoming election that will bring much shock and awe. Prepare, prepare this day because I will have my way, saith the Lord. We are truly living in the most intense times the world has ever seen, and God has appointed that we are to be alive to witness and partner with Him through it all. I hope to have brought you some understanding about world events and to have encouraged you today. As we are being graced to live in peace and safety where we are, let us not fail to use our time and abilities to partner with God and pray for those who are suffering in this war. There still is a lot of misinformation making it hard to know what to believe, but we know evil is real and unimaginable atrocities have been and continue to be committed against the innocent. Let us decree and declare according to God's will and word for the peace and safety for all God's people everywhere and to make a point of drawing exceedingly near to him for those who are yet to repent to do so without delay 
and for the supernatural comfort and deliverance of the Holy Spirit to those who are suffering. Next week, I plan on providing more about the Arab-Israeli conflict to help us remain in faith and not fear as events around us become even darker. Now, because of the length of today's podcast, I won't share my usual list of affiliates. I do ask, however, for you to join me in the vision for this podcast to reach many more people. Share this podcast with others. Consider supporting me through getting the goods and services available from my affiliates. Consider my award-winning books for Christmas gifts. There are so many ways we can partner in this effort together, and I thank you for listening and for considering offering whatever support you can. Information is always available in the show notes about my affiliates and ways you can show your support. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, reminding you, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him.